Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. Uh, ben and I are very excited to join you with it, not just being that kind of, uh, you know, floating in the ether off day, but we're an, an actual off day now uh, with uh, an actual start to the season set for April 7th, because of course uh, we have a CBA now and we're actually going to have uh, baseball. Ben, how are you doing today? Well, I am uh, doing a lot better uh, with the agreement on the CBA and players showing up at camp. So instead of uh, pictures and video of Rob Manfred and uh, you know negotiators walking back and forth in the parking lot down at Roger Dean, uh, we have photos of St. Louis Cardinals players walking into the facility to begin the season. And I consider that an upgrade. Absolutely, absolutely. I hope they have uh, hosed down the facility now that the uh, the owners have all left um, to you know clean it out for the players. But yeah, we're we're excited to uh, to actually talk some baseball. So that's what we're gonna do here today. Um, I think we're gonna spend most of our time talking about the Cardinals and what we might see from the Cardinals over this uh, next uh, you know compressed one month of uh, spring training and free agent frenzy and everything. But Ben, I thought first off, we, we should maybe touch on the the CBA negotiations and kind of everything we just went through. Um, I don't feel like we should keep let ourselves get too far off track on it. So I actually got thinking about, uh, you know, in 1984, how they have the two minutes hate. Yes. And uh, <laughs> every, everybody watched the like video of the, the enemies and they all scream at their screens and everything. I thought we should have a, a five minutes hate right here. So I am going to set a timer for five minutes and we're going to limit ourselves to five minutes of talking about everything we have just went through. So I have hit start on the timer. Uh, ben, what are, your, what are your thoughts on this whole CBA negotiation we just went through? Um, I think that... As this went on and you kind of saw the way it all came together, it had me looking further back in time. And I was thinking to when Bill DeWitt fired Walt Jockety because he would not implement Bill DeWitt's, or could not implement perhaps Bill DeWitt's vision of a strong farm system to feed the major league team with cheap players who are cost controlled. So he doesn't have to pay as much money for people like Miguel Cairo. Um, (laughs) And how Bill DeWitt's vision then is basically every major league franchise's vision now. And then uh, later on, Bill DeWitt headed the search committee for a new commissioner. They hired Manfred and you've probably seen it. Uh, folks have been tweeting it. Um, the USA Today listing of most influential owners, Bill DeWitt Jr., or most influential people in Major League Baseball. And Bill DeWitt uh, Jr. was listed as the most influential owner at number four on the list because of his closeness uh, as an ally of, of Manfred's. And um, I saw quite a few people in Cardinals circles circulating the quote from DeWitt when they hired Manfred, that his ability to develop consensus was one of the reasons that they hired him. And people were taking that uh, and kind of making sarcastic comments because of the lack of consensus between owners and players. And I think folks misunderstood 
Manfred was hired because of his ability to develop consensus amongst the owners so that they are a united front against the players. And so all of this really feels like it goes back a long time and that it almost is a seed that Bill DeWitt planted. And then it, it came, uh, it sprouted and grew and we had to deal with it this winter. And, you know, it was just very interesting to me to see some of the, the more mainstream St. Louis establishment media p- folks uh, kind of bending over backwards to explain away Bill DeWitt Jr.'s involvement in this, and yeah. uh, but still trying to criticize the owners. And it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because the owners voted unanimously to force a lockout on us, the fans, as well as the players. So we were robbed of a normal hot stove. We were robbed of a normal spring training. And we now have a delayed opening day and a more condensed regular season schedule. And we were robbed of all of these things because the owners made the choice to force a lockout. And yep. they refused to I'm going to jump in because we only got five minutes here and I need, I need to get from Hayden myself. So, no, I agree with everything you said. And I, if there's anything that I hope comes out of this for Cardinals fans, it is recognizing that the DeWitts, like all owners, are, are frankly villains in the sport. And um, I know I've seen opening days past, you know, Bill DeWitt walk out on the field and get applause from the crowd. And, and I've said for years, uh, boos are the only thing that owners should get. And I think, I think more people than ever hopefully saw that through this process right here for, for all the reasons that you illuminated. Um, I really hope we see the end of the St. Louis media with their, uh, you know, stories about how, oh, it's a, you know, they're a great baseball family and Bill DeWitt's a great baseball man and all that. I mean, that is just, I mean, it's utter bullshit, frankly. Uh, Has Bill DeWitt been around baseball his entire life? Yes, because he was born into wealth. His father owned the St. Louis Browns. uh, I think he bought the Browns two years before Bill DeWitt was born. So, you know, his story, it's not a story of, uh, you know, being around baseball because you you love it and you work you work hard at it. It's a story of, you know, wealth in this country being concentrated into so few hands and his the hands that his was concentrated in have happened to own baseball teams. And he's he's continued that legacy. Um, and the only other thing I would throw in is and this is something Joe Sheehan pointed out on the Effectively Wild podcast, the, this, the moves you see from ownership now, they're all about uh, small and mid-sized owners and, and uh, allowing them to be cheap. And, uh, you know, and, and again, DeWitt has supported that, and that's incredibly anti-competitive. It's incredibly bad for, for baseball. So um, extremely frustrating. Yes. Oh, ben, I, I'm sorry. We just, hit the, we just hit the timer. We just hit the timer. So... Um, well, let, let me get one last thing in. All right. Uh, Bill DeWitt was born on third base. No one should <laughs> act like he hit a triple. Bill DeWitt was literally born on third base. Like his father <laughs> owned the Browns, I think. Can we can we find out? Do, do we have documentation of where his birth took place? I've, 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 for all intents and purposes, it was at uh, Sportsman's Park uh, on third base. I, I mean, no, no one has been more literally and figuratively born on third base ever than Bill DeWitt. Absolutely. And so uh, 
the idea that Bill DeWitt should be treated differently from other owners is absurd. He for, he is one of the the group of thirty club owners who forced all of this on us and put us all through the ringer this winter. And none of us should ever forget that because if he's still alive, he's going to do it again in five years. Yes. Yes, absolutely. As, as will the rest of them because they are villains, but luckily we can, uh, we, we don't have to think about that in the forefront of our minds so much for a while now, um, because we have this CBA agreement. So, uh, with that CBA agreement, Ben, I think, uh, Obviously, the thing that everyone is uh, pretty excited about is the fact that the free agent market has unfrozen and there's only a month for all of these players to find homes and for any trades to happen. And uh, the Cardinals actually made the very first move of the reopened, uh, <laughs> the reopened movement. And they made a really just an extremely Cardinals move as well, signing uh, Drew Verhagen, who is a, I believe he had five years in the Tigers system um, and then the last two years in Japan. Um, he's a, a pitcher. It's a two-year deal. It's uh, five-something million dollars, I believe. Um, and uh, the early reports today suggested that the Cardinals would give him uh, a shot to compete as a starter, but he's, you know, he's probably in that kind of, you know, back into the rotation, swingman, bullpen kind of mix there. So, Ben, what do you, what do you think about Verhagen? Um, he is a name that I only vaguely remember because my dad is from a town where his high school mascot's name was the Little Dutch, and he graduated from the college in that town, and their mascot uh, at the time was the Flying Dutch Men. They're now just known as the Dutch. So whenever I see a Dutch-looking name, it kind of sticks with me. Uh, there's an old joke that my aunt, after they moved to this town, asked if, if our family could change his name to Vander Humphrey. And so uh, he's a name that I only remember uh, because Dutch names stick with me due to the, this uh, family uh, path through this town. And so, yeah. and, uh, and, and, and I, and, and just to be clear, I think I've been saying Verhagen in an, in an extremely kind of Midwestern tone here, but yeah, hopefully yes. it's more like a Drew Verhagen. So yes, <laughs> something fun like that. Uh, you know, he's a low walk, primarily a sinker ball pitcher, um, looking at his baseball savant page, which I'm sure that we all did, uh, after the signing was announced, uh, it, it looked like he, he was kind of like a mid-90s sinker baller, and then he kind of lost a few ticks, two or three ticks off of that sinker. So I'm interested to see where he sits in spring in the regular season. Uh, but it looks like he's kind of a sinker baller, curveball pitcher being his, his top two pitches. Uh, but the thing that I saw on uh, social media, and I cannot remember who posted it, uh, but during my lunch break, I was reading it, and and someone indicated that if you could combine Daniel Ponce de Leon and John Gant into one person, oh, it God. would be someone like uh, Drew 
Verhagen, and that is not true. Uh, Drew Verhagen does not walk batters or has not walked batters for several years anywhere near the rate of John Gant, one of the worst pitchers in baseball last year, uh, or Daniel Ponce de Leon, who's trying to resurrect his career uh, out in Anaheim this year because he walked way too many batters last year. This is an acquisition that fits more squarely into the mid-season acquisitions last year than the early season pitching staff. He's a profile uh, with the sinker, with ground balls, with no walks that fits into the Cardinals kind of new money ball of we're going to rely on our defense in this very pitcher friendly park. And we're going to get guys who pitch to contact like Dave Duncan still here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I believe, and I was just trying to look it up, but I'm just going off the top of my head. I believe uh, last year in Japan, uh, 7% walk rate and a a 25% strikeout rate, which, you know, are pretty good numbers. And obviously things tend to be a little worse when they translate over to, um, the United States. But um, no, I would agree with you. And I think you made a great point when you talked about it being kind of in line with those later season moves last year, where the, the team just really seemed to find the type of guys that could thrive um, in front of this defense and in this ballpark. And I, I'm also, you know, the track, the Cardinals track record um, uh, in the last, you know, five years or so, uh, of guys that they've brought in from Korea and Japan is really excellent as well. So, you know, whatever their scouts and front office are doing in terms of evaluating these guys and being able to translate what they're doing there to here, um, they've had really high success with those guys. So, um, so I mean, I'm pretty optimistic. Like you said about, you know, kind of looking them up today. If you, if you had asked me, you know, last night who Drew Verhagen was, I would have said I have, I have no idea, maybe a hockey player. Um, but uh, <laughs> Um, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and, uh, I, I love these kind of signings. I know I usually talk about in terms of bullpen guys, not spending money on, you know, guys in the bullpen, this is a swing man here. So it's, you know, maybe stretching that a little bit, but you know, this is one of those deals where there's just, there's almost no risk here. There's a ton of upside. And the other thing I think is, um, it's a guy that you sign with a ton of flexibility too. Because, um, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, before uh, John Lester retired, you know, there was some talk that, well, maybe the Cardinals would re-sign Lester. And it would have been in this similar kind of like maybe end of the rotation kind of role. But one of the challenges with a, a, a veteran like Lester is, you know, John Lester would not have done the swingman thing. And John Lester would not have gone to the bullpen. You know, this is a guy that you have that kind of flexibility with. So they can move him around, um, you know, and, and, and that flexibility is really important. And I think more and more I see the Cardinals and really a lot of teams kind of, you know, taking that into consideration with who they acquire. And I, I'm, in fact, that same point is going to come up when we talk about another player. <laughs> are, are you ready to move on? Uh, or anything else about Drew Verhagen? Um, I wanted to say uh, there was a quote from Mosellock about him being in competition for the starting rotation. And I want everyone to be reminded, it feels like a hundred years ago, the last time there was a spring training, quite frankly, the, the Dodgers Cardinals play in game last October feels like 50 years ago uh, with everything that's come between then and now. Um, But when the St. Louis Cardinals say that someone who is seemingly on the outside looking in is in competition for the rotation, what that means is they're probably going to have that pitcher work a starter's spring training, and they're going to have them work a starter's spring training 
late into spring training. And the reason they're doing that is that pitcher is insurance in case someone who is actually going to be in the starting rotation according to their plan is injured during spring training. So when you see the Cardinals say that, Verhagen is not going to beat anyone out to be in the rotation. Okay, he will be in the rotation if someone gets hurt. And so keep that in mind. This isn't like a $5 million, you know, bargain basket uh, signing where they're going to, you know, put him in the rotation and and roll that way. This is to prevent something from like last spring where we had Oviedo and uh, Woodford making starts and it was unbearable. Um, well, I, I mostly agree with you, Ben, but I also think that they are coming around to understanding that you really should go into your season with a, a seven-man or an eight-man rotation. And uh, you, you know what I mean? You should know who those guys are going to be. And, and, you know, you talked about injury, and that's the most you know likely thing that's going to be there. But I think um, – I think there's a good chance that you see the Cardinals also just kind of, you know, use the um, kind of some judicious use of uh, the, you know, 15 day disabled list. Um, and with certain guys that have options, potentially an option down, you know, to, to mix your arms in. So, um, you know, obviously Jack Flaherty should be starting every five days. Um, you know, Miles Michaelis, if he's, uh, you know, effective should be starting every five days. Uh, Mats, of course, they, you know, they signed to, you know, to hopefully be that kind of guy, but you know, uh, Dakota Hudson and, you know, as you move down the list, um, you don't necessarily want to do that with everybody. And so, so I guess I'm only slightly pushing back in that. I, I believe that they could potentially see Verhagen as like a number seven starter type guy, you know? And so he could be a guy that they do expect to get some, some uh, starts, uh, during the season. But but yes, I mean, I don't think he's going there battling to be one of five guys and then he'll take the ball every fifth day and pitch 200 innings this season. And that's a very good point, Ben. Um, I think perhaps that was one of the contributing factors uh, to Schilt no longer being the manager. The idea that there needs to be a more flexible idea of, of what is a starter and who can be a starter um, in terms of the workload uh, and how you're implementing those players. And so um, they they think they have something here. Uh, years ago, they invested more in scouting in Asia. They've done a lot of advanced analytics to help uh, translate stats in those leagues to the big leagues, and the Cardinals feel very comfortable swimming in those waters. And this is the latest example. I hate to appeal to authority, but it's it's difficult uh, to criticize the Cardinals for going back to that well when they've had pretty good success uh, with signings from uh, that part of the world uh, so far in, in recent years. Oh, yeah. And I mean, given the recent track record there, it just, it, you know, it seems like their read on these players is is strong. And so I agree. I, I'm excited to see them keep uh, signing guys out of there, given that read on them. Um, now, before we started recording, you you brought up the fact that this also has uh, uh, relates interestingly to some comments that Mo made today about uh, Reyes and Hicks. You want to talk about those? Yeah. Um, you know, he did 
John Mosaloc did his first press availability since Bill DeWitt uh, put a muzzle on all organizational employees during the lockout. A literal and, and figurative muzzle. Yes. So, so if you're if you're if you've been listening for the entire show, Bill DeWitt was literally born on third base, and he literally muzzled all of his employees. That is that is fact. Cardinals off day has verified that. And I'm sorry. Go on, go on, Ben. <laughs> and and uh, one of the things that Mosaloc said is that uh, the team uh, needs to see where Reyes and Hicks are in their preparation because, of course. They were forbidden from having any contact with them during the lockout, uh, Bill DeWitt's lockout. And so uh, it sounded like the front office was leaning toward having both of them be relievers this year. And so it seems like maybe they won't be in that quote-unquote competition to be starters this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, you and I, I uh, have kind of talked about this whole idea of Reyes and Hicks as starters ever since they floated it. And I know neither you or I have thought that this was a very likely course of action in either case. I can say for myself personally, um, it, it's two it's two different reasons. Um, you know, Reyes, I just don't think is is very good anymore. Um, and I mean, he, he certainly has some, um, you know, he, he has certain elite skills that he can flash but his his control is so bad that um i i have a hard time believing that he's going to be an effective major league pitcher but that goes doubly for for a starter because when you see him and he just has no control at all you know at least if he's in the bullpen you can kind of uh you know move to a backup plan you know but if if he's doing that you know a third of an inning into a game you know you just you know you may as well run up the white flag at that point Hicks, I have to admit, given his given Hicks stuff, given his extreme ground ball stuff, the fact that he was never really a high strikeout guy, you know, I can actually see where, in a way, Hicks could profile better as a starter. That said, and, and I like Jordan Hicks a lot. I'm really rooting for him, but he has had such a run of injuries, um, and just the fact that he hasn't been a starting pitcher for so long, um, I think it'll be a challenge for him to get there. And you know, if, if Hicks ends up I believe I'm sure I imagine Hicks still has options. So, you know, I, I do wonder, you know, could Jordan Hicks pitch a lot of this season in the minor leagues? If he has options, I think he could. And and, you know, maybe if he had enough time in that starter role, uh, you know, he could kind of come around, you know, almost like a, I mean, a very different type of pitcher, but almost like a Braden Looper kind of situation. Um, anyway, that's that's my read on the two of them. Is that kind of in line with your expectations, Ben? Yeah, I think so. Uh, one of the things about Hicks and really all pitchers that we've kind of seen in recent years is, you know, pitchers who throw as hard as Hicks, there there are more of them in recent years, but it seems like, you know, like, like sitting 98 to 100 is somewhat sustainable from a reliever, but when you're sitting around 102, your body breaks. Um, and, and, and I don't know if, if we're looking at the upper reaches of what velocity you can throw and stay healthy. Um, but with Hicks, you do kind of wonder if his stuff with that heavy sinker, uh, plays as well, or perhaps better in the rotation with him dialing down the velocity 
Yeah. And it allows him to be more successful from a health perspective as well as uh, then from a career perspective because he's able uh, to stay in uniform and, and stay pitching. And so it is an interesting question. Uh, then you also have uh, the fact that he has diabetes. And the original reason the Cardinals proposed this was they felt with his with that condition, he might be yeah. better suited for starting every fifth day than working as a reliever, you know, with a much more uh, volatile work schedule, you know, getting hot in the bullpen, sometimes not coming in, being thrown multiple days in a row. Thank goodness he doesn't have to worry about Mike Matheny being his manager anymore, or his arm probably would have fallen off. I mean, how many relievers did Matheny turn into dust uh, before the the Cardinals finally fired him? But, um, you know, it's unfortunate. This is a side effect of the lockout. And this is something that Bill DeWitt Jr. and the other owners apparently don't care about. And now players like Jordan Hicks and Alex Reyes have had their careers uh, potentially harmed by it. And it's something that we should all keep in mind as, as we well, watch spring training. Maybe, maybe not. I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm 100% there with you. Um, not that I'm defending uh, Bill DeWitt Jr., of course, but uh, I always felt like the Reyes and Hicks we're going to try them out as starters felt like sort of something that like, we'll, we'll give it a look in February anyway, and then we'll move on to where we really think they're going to be. So I, you know, to some degree, I don't know if they've just already moved, you know, moved them there because, you know, I don't know how much of an impact it really is on these guys being ready that we've missed this time. I mean, we're not in the, you know, 1920s when, uh, Babe Ruth would, uh, you know, roll into Hot Springs, Arkansas, like, you know, 50 pounds overweight. <laughs> and some guy would hit him in the gut with a medicine ball for, you know, two and a half weeks. And, you know, then he was in like playing shape. You know, these guys, uh, you know, keep themselves in incredible shape. They, they you know, all of them work, uh, you know, work out and, you know, really, uh, you know, very uh, technological gyms and everything where they're able to do all this. So, I don't know, you know, when they come in after working out and they're super high-end private facilities, I, I don't know that there's really a significant difference from if they had been doing the kind of work they would have been doing, you know, officially with the team at a, a normal reporting date. And I think that's fair. Um, and also, I, I would say that after uh, 2020 with the COVID uh, cancellation and everyone coming back, one of the things that you saw reported was the players now felt more comfortable prepping themselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I mean, so they, they, they didn't care about missing spring training as much as they might have otherwise. It's interesting. It is interesting. I mean, we're kind of getting a little off, off topic here, but I, that's something I've been wondering through this entire lockout is, you know, obviously, you know, spring training exists and has existed for a long time. And it and there's a whole economy around it in Florida and Arizona. And it's a place that, you know, people make plan to make trips and things like that. And so for that reason, I think you'll see it continuing. But in terms of its actual like necessity and usefulness for players being ready for a season, I think it's pretty antiquated. And so, 
um, you know, again, I don't know. I expect it's going to kind of stick around just because, again, it, it's there's an economy around it. They make money off of it. But I think you're going to see this season, you're going to see everybody be just as ready to play after a month of uh, and I'm making air quotes spring training as they would have been after the full period of time. And um, so anyway, it'll just be interesting to see if anything comes of that. Um, oh, no, I agree. I agree. It will be. Uh, um, oh, go ahead. oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, should we uh, should we move on to talk about there was another uh, not signing today, but there was some uh, some news about uh, a former Cardinal uh, listeners may have heard of. His name was Albert Pujols. And the uh, the, the reports uh, today were that three teams were in talks with Albert Pujols and those teams were the Mariners, the Rockies and the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, so Ben, what do you, what do you make of those reports as well as the, you know, possibility that the Cardinals could re-sign Albert Pujols? Well, I saw an interview quote from Jerry DePoto who said he woke up this morning, quote, ready to transact, end quote. <laughs> uh, Jerry DePoto has never not been ready to transact. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, he's the, he's the hot tag. He, he reminds me of, of the wrestler in a tag team match. They don't do it as much anymore, but like in the eighties and nineties, he's the hot tag. Like he is ready to go. I, I was thinking of, wasn't it a, wasn't it an old Navy commercial that was like, we do more before 8am than most people do all day. Wasn't that the, was that the Navy yes. or maybe yeah, it was UPS. Something like that. Yeah. It was yeah. either the Navy or UPS, but uh, Jerry DePoto does more transactions by 8am than most GMs do all season. So. <laughs> So uh, there is no question in my mind the Mariners are checking on Albert Pujols um, and the Cardinals being in on him on the one hand surprised me because of Yepes. On the other, maybe it didn't because as hard as it is for me to say this, it was 10 years ago, uh, actually more than 10 years ago, where the Cardinals uh, signed Lance Berkman to an extension and... Uh, with the idea that he would play right field if they were able to sign Pujols, and he would play first base if they couldn't. Um, but that signing essentially blocked Alan Craig, who I think everyone after the 2011 season felt was ready to play every day. Yeah. Um, but the Cardinals built, layered on that depth, blocked Craig. Of course, Bergman got hurt. Craig stepped in anyway. Um but with Pujols and Yepes, I, I was kind of thinking to myself, how many times, Ben, would you start Albert Pujols over Paul Goldschmidt in a game where you didn't want to just give Goldschmidt the day off? Uh, zero. Uh, right. But, but I do think there are there there could be days where you you did want to give goldschmidt the day off or um you know he was you know he got hit by a pitch the night before but that's not many games to your point right it's it's probably between between 10 and 20 right like right. 10 and 20 starts uh you know i would probably just give those games to you if it were me um and well, and, and then you you also have the dh but it's 
Moselock also in his interview here today said they were uh, interested in, you know, Yepes getting reps at DH, but also Nolan Gorman. And so right. Pujols is more of a compliment to Gorman, uh, but he is certainly someone who would stand in the way of Yepes. And yeah. I say this with all due respect. I mean, I have an Albert Pujols St. Louis Cardinals jersey up in my closet right now, just waiting, Ben, uh, <laughs> to be brought out and worn about on the day of the signing and multiple days thereafter. Um, yes. But at this point, you know, he's 42 years old. How good can you expect the production to be? You're going to try to get him in primarily against lefties. The team is already right-handed heavy. Yeah. And he's he's on the downward slope of his career. Bush Stadium is even more difficult on right-handed hitters than left-handed hitters. And so there's the nostalgia factor, which my heart wants it. Right. But my head can think of so many reasons not to do it. And quite honestly, for all parties involved... Albert Pujols, as, as a member of the Colorado Rockies, makes the most sense to me because I think that gives him the best chance to reach 700 career home runs. It gives the Rockies a name to perhaps draw a few folks to the stadium the way that the Boston Braves did with Babe Ruth. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe he could even be the player manager by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, no, and I, I agree with you, um, to, uh, but I, I'm going to lay out – a reason they they could sign pools and then a reason why I think it's not especially likely. And so uh, the the one reason that I think that they could, and, and I agree with you that um, Yepes deserves at bats and he is, looks like a, you know, a more of a DH type, you know, with, with maybe some, some spot starts in the corner infield. And I know he's played a little corner outfield, but I'm not sure they would even trust him out there. Um, you know, and Gorman as well, you know, if Gorman is on the roster and, you know, and Gorman is maybe getting a, a hopefully a fair amount of time at second base, you could also see Gorman getting a fair number of, you know, kind of DH at bats as well. I think that's kind of plan A. But that said, you know, those are both guys who extremely promising young players over the long run, I think, that are going to be productive major league hitters. But those are the kind of guys that they don't always do it the first time they come up. And so um, I do think that the Cardinals should be in the market for a guy who um, who has some kind of DH potential, who plays another position, but could kind of, you know, be a, a solid sort of professional hitter in that DH role, particularly if, you know, Gorman and, and Yepes just aren't, aren't clicking or aren't clicking right away. And so if, you know, with that in mind that you may be looking for that kind of guy, Albert Pujols could be that kind of guy. But here's the reason why Pujols specifically is not a good fit for that. And it relates back to what I said about Drew Verhagen, which is that, you know, flexibility is key with a guy like that, that you're going to have in a swing type role. And the problem with signing Albert Pujols to be that that veteran guy who's going to take those at bats until he's supplanted by the young talent is you're never going to cut Albert Pujols. He's going to be there, you know, he's going to be there all season. And frankly, from Pujols' camp, you know, if he's really, you know, trying to get the 700 home runs and trying to get as many plate appearances possible, as possible and you're completely frank with him i think the reality is hey we're gonna slot you in here 
until Yepes and Gorman show that they're better than you, which we expect that they will. <laughs> you know what I mean? And in in the event that they do, you know, a Pujols is is going to get very few at bats, and and you know, I would think potentially so few at bats that he's not even interested in it. So I, I can see where the Cardinals, and I I wouldn't be surprised to see them sign a, a you know a veteran hitter who could you know spend some time in that DH type role. I just think Albert Pujols is, is not a great candidate for that. No, I agree. He's someone who, if the Cardinals sign him, he is on a farewell tour. Even if he doesn't know it, he's on a right. Cardinals farewell tour with yeah. Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. And the Cardinals have to see that through to the end. And yeah. as a fan, I would want them to see it through to the end. Yes. And and you know what? If if that's what Pujols was looking for and interested in doing, I, I think maybe. I think maybe it makes sense because there's absolutely value in that farewell tour aspect of things. And, um, you know, and it could make sense. But, you know, Pujols, like all world-class athletes, is a maniac. And so I do not see him, um, you know, eagerly accepting the idea that you're going to come out and sit in a rocking chair and wave goodbye to everybody and, you know, get like a two pinch hitting at bats every series uh, in to be in St. Louis when potentially you're right. A, a, a team like the Rockies or, you know, the Pirates, who I know weren't mentioned, but basically a bad team who doesn't have enough young talent that you're you're taking anybody's spot. I think there's there's going to be a team out that like like that out there that you know would sign him and you know he would get you know 350 plus uh, plate appearances in a in a DH role and have a better shot at uh, you know hitting some of those uh, benchmarks. Yeah, if it it all depends, you know, one of the things and we've talked about this before. One of the things that can make an athlete great is they're basically insane. Right, they're crazy people. Absolutely. And so, if Albert Pujols and he seemed to with the Dodgers, right? He accepted a more reduced role, was more of a platoon player. He seemed to embrace that role, was productive in it. Right, but and and maybe this was a point we're going to make. Ben, I'm sorry to interrupt, but he doesn't even have he doesn't even fit the Cardinals in a way where that platoon player role makes sense because they already right. have all the right-handed corner. Uh, you know, corner infielder type hitters that they need. I agree. If they had a need for that kind of platoon bat, I think he would make a ton of sense, but that, that doesn't even fit the Cardinals. No, it doesn't. And and what I was going to say, if he's willing, if he's that realistic about where he is in his career, if he's willing to accept an even more reduced role and uh, be more of an ambassador uh, and I hate to use that term, but I mean, I think you see where I'm going with this. If, if it's one of those things where he's willing to agree to all of this, uh, it certainly makes it much more palatable for the Cardinals. But honestly, I I would really love for him to get to seven home, 700 home runs. And there's a part of me that really hopes the Rockies sign him and he gets there. Yeah. Because yeah. he is one of the greatest hitters any of us have ever seen. Yeah. And if he hits 700 home runs, that's more than A-Rod. He did it clean. Um, he is, at that point, baseball is a round number, you know, kind of benchmark sport traditionally in that way. 
I think he solidifies his place in history if he's able to do that. And I, I just, I think it makes more sense to the Rockies. He's a potential draw to the park there. Um, but my heart would, I would be so excited if the Cardinals signed Albert Pujols. And it's almost yeah. silly to say when I look at it from just a pure, uh, like analytical perspective, you know, it's brain versus heart. Like we said last year, my brain would be like, what are you doing? But my heart would be so excited. Like I would be so excited for opening day with Albert Pujols on the Cardinals. Yes. Open. Yeah. Uh, No, a hundred percent. And I mean, and the people who I've seen some people talk about, you know, it's not a competitive choice or whatever. Like if you're talking about giving him the last place on the bench, who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's not, <laughs> you know, if he's willing to take, if he's willing to take that, it's fine. And it's, it, you're absolutely right to have, to have he and uh, Yachty and Wayno, you know, all going out together would be amazing. Although I think notably of those three, Pujols is the one who hasn't officially said this would be his last year. So who knows? Maybe Pujols would play this year and then decide, you know, he wanted to, somebody to wheel him out onto the field for yet another year next year. But um, we'll, uh, we'll see. And, uh, you know, who knows? Um, so just kind of segueing from that. And I think we kind of started talking about this a little bit. Uh, just in terms of, you know, what are some needs that the team has or what are some, you know, places where they might be likely to make a move and, and you know, who might that be? And I guess I I started to touch on this because I do see that kind of um, a a guy who could get some of those DH at bats being somebody that they potentially get, uh, you know, a veteran hitter. I don't think they would go after, I guess, kind of with the exception of Pujols, who we've been talking about, you know, I I don't think they would go after the sort of traditional, you know, DH type guy like a Nelson Cruz who, you know, cannot play any position. Um, I think you see very few of those guys anymore anyway, um, because it just seems like it's such a more effective way to use the DH to have it available. So, you know, your, your Goldschmidt's and your Arenado's and, you know, your Tyler O'Neill's and everybody can maybe kind of, you know, have a day or two of, you know, semi rest in that position. Um, but I, I, to me, that's a, that, that's a, uh, a move that I would not be surprised if they made. What, what do you think? Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I with the thirteen thirteen split, which Mosellock uh, gave a statement on, and I don't think I have seen reported anywhere else. Um, if anyone has seen reporting on that, you know, uh, let us know on Twitter at Cardinals Off Day. Um, but with the thirteen thirteen split, when you have that many bench players, you know, it's it's something where, you know, I'm I I think I agree with you. It's it's a it's something that would be nice, but I would honestly rather have them spend the money probably on another arm, uh, whether yeah. it's a starter or a reliever. I. You know, I I think that would be a better use of resources. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, uh, I guess I don't because I to me, and again, I I don't. I think it's risky for them to roll into the season assuming that 
Yepes and or Gorman are going to hit well enough that with them in the mix, you know, and kind of shuffling some of those other guys out, you've got this new hitting position that they have now covered. Um, you know, if uh, I, I also feel like it's exactly the kind of thing that the Cardinals do too often is when they feel like they've got a young player who's close enough they they won't sign a veteran for some kind of you know extra depth um you know they just they they don't they don't pursue depth because i think bill dewitt feels like you know when they get depth and then they have you know both players play well you've got uh you know he's got money sitting on the bench and you know that money could be buying another one of eva longoria's houses in beverly hills so um so I, I, I guess I do. I, I to me it is val- it would be valuable to sign a guy there. I got you know for not a lot of money. Um, and, and and again, frankly, it would be better if it's a guy who had some flexibility that you you know you could just cut maybe if you know you're midway through the season and you know your peasant or Gorman are you know completely legit and you just don't need that that spot. Um, so to that end, I don't, I, I still see that value there, but I agree with you, you know, you can never have enough pitching, right? So, um, who would you want to, what, what kind of pitcher would you anticipate or, or want to see them sign at this point? Uh, you know, the, the fan base, uh, seems to be rallying around Joe Kelly, who is a player I always enjoyed, um, now that he is a reliever, which is what I always thought he was, I felt that Mike Matheny f- kind of felt the need to force him into the starter role a little bit. Um, but once he left St. Louis, I feel like he really blossomed as a reliever. Um, and with Matheny gone, I think he could still be a good one. Uh, and he's pitched in October uh, quite a bit. Uh, and I'm, I am someone, even though obviously I believe in advanced stats and those types of things, I think there is something to be said about having players who have performed, uh, uh, you know, underneath the brightest lights of October. And so, you know, Joe Kelly is a name that definitely interests me. It sounds like, you know, he's... And, and, and by perform, do you mean assaulted a man wearing the uniform of the other team? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, he broke Hanley Ramirez's ribs. Um, but it's, it, you know, that's one where uh, that's a name that definitely interests me. Uh, that's the type of signing I could see the Cardinals making. Um, I also feel like they need to look at last year which has some similarities to this year with the way spring training is and that type of thing, and perhaps make a handful of minor league contract signings and invite guys to spring training so they don't have to scramble if they have similar issues to last year um, to try and fill backfill in the bullpen. And so if those types of deals are available... Um, I, th- I think that would certainly be uh, beneficial for the team if they could maybe stash a few arms in Memphis or sign some guys like Ganeshek type who might make the bullpen out of spring training and be a guy who's reliable throughout the year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe Kelly is definitely the name that has been floating out there. And for me, it's it, it would be a question of the 
the dollars and years on that. My my worry is for them to go out and sign another in the uh, Brett Cecil and Andrew Miller honorary, uh, you know, thirty million dollars down the toilet for an old reliever, uh, you know, role. Which, as as efficient as the Cardinals operate, has been just a really weird predilection that they've had, <laughs> you know, these last few years. And um, so I'm against that. Now that said, Joe Kelly, from some of the like some of the estimates I've seen, they don't have him getting anywhere near the kind of deals that you know Cecil and uh, 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 Miller got. So you know, if it's a one year deal, if it's a two year deal, you know, for uh, you know, I don't know you know, 12 million, 15 million, something like that. That's, that's, you know, maybe that's, that's, you know, that's certainly better than what they did in those last two instances. No. And, and I totally agree. I, if, if Joe Kelly were getting Brett Cecil offers, he would have already signed, I think. And so, uh, you know, I'm someone there's no such who believes that there's no such thing as a bad one year contract. And, you know, if you're looking at a, a two-year contract, there there are very few bad two-year contracts even because, you know, those are deals where you can work around them and, and try and put people in a position to succeed. And so I, I would be surprised if Kelly got a deal over two years. If he does, more power to him. You know, Derek Gould has reported on the type of a player that they're targeting you know, out of the bullpen and, and Kelly certainly seems to be in the mix. Um, and so I, you know, we'll see if they're able to seal the deal. Hopefully they don't finish second like they so often do on a whole bunch of arms. Cause I feel adding that type of depth is a very positive thing, especially if the team is trying to get more flexible with what constitutes the starter, because you're going to need to expand that bullpen and you're going to be able to build a bridge perhaps from, say, the, the fourth inning to the ninth if you have more of that type of depth uh, pitchers who you can bring in and count on in the late innings. Yeah. Do you, do you see any universe where the Cardinals make another significant signing? And I know there's, there's fans that are clamoring for Kyle Schwarber. There's still fans that think that Trevor Story is a good baseball player. I'm not one of them. Um, I don't know any of the pitchers that are left. I don't know that there's anybody there that's really, uh, you know, any of the bigger name pitchers that have really been associated with the Cardinals. But do, do you see them making any kind of a splash signing in anywhere? Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, every front office performs its due diligence. So they're they're all constantly monitoring. And if a player's value drops, do the Cardinals jump in and make a move? You know, Mark Ellis yeah. comes to mind right. uh, several years ago when the Cardinals had Colton Wong earmarked for second base. Right. Um, that signing genuinely surprised me. Uh and so if a, a veteran player of, of that ilk uh, becomes available uh, later, you know, next week, maybe or in two weeks, do they make a move? It would not surprise me. It sounds like this, this free agent market is just going to go nuts here in the next 24 to 48 hours. And so there might not be anyone left standing. But, right. you know, if there's an arm that 
that sees his value drop on the market, I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals swoop in. You know, they have all of these new revenue streams. Apple, uh, they signed a new deal with NBC for Peacock. They have the logos on uh, the jerseys now. You know, the Cardinals have money to spend. Every team does. And so uh, it wouldn't surprise me, especially with where the Cardinals are on the win curve relative to the Brewers, if they did swoop in and make a move. They aren't going to sign like a Carlos Correa type, even though he fits in perfectly with what this team is trying to do. He's just way too expensive for ownership's taste. But if there's, you know, a mid-level free agent who is still available and the team feels that player is someone who can help them win, I I think they make that move. And uh, I think it's someone that maybe isn't on the radar right now, someone who we're not talking about. You know, I don't think it's going to be a Kyle Schwarber type. I don't think they're going to sign someone to be the DH. 500 plate appearances this year. That would very much surprise me, though. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think you're, you're absolutely right that there is a, a, certainly a chance that they're opportunistic and sign that type of guy, but we, we really can't know who that could be because it would just be all about, uh, you know, the, the, the guy who fell through the cracks and whose price tag dropped to a point that they didn't expect it to, but suddenly did make sense, um, you know, for the team. So, um, I guess, you know, kind of moving on from the the team specifically, unless you had anything else about the team you wanted to say, I thought maybe we could talk about some of the the rule changes that are coming this year also as a result of this CBA. Uh, I, there, there are a few things under the CBA that are interesting to me. Uh, one, of, one of the things is the limit on the number of options uh, mm-hmm. at five. And... There was a a good uh, post written that looked at, you know, who are the teams that this will really impact. And one of the teams that was very liberal with the use of options last year was the Giants. Mm -hmm. Um, The Rays are known for it, but the Giants actually did it a lot more often. And the Cardinals really didn't, even though, you know, we've coined the term the Memphis shuttle. And so I think one of the things that that rule could do is it's going to limit teams flexibility uh, with shuttling arms back and forth when they're tired between the minors, basically allowing them to carry an extra arm or two on the roster for all intents and purposes. And so if you're, if you want to get more flexible and more uh, liberal in your idea of what a starting pitcher is, but you can only option a player five times in a season, and uh, just as an aside, I should have said this earlier, one of the pitchers uh, the Giants optioned a lot was John Brebbia last year, mm-hmm. um, former Cardinal and a player who I always enjoyed uh, with his comments in the media and that type of thing. Um, but he's someone who you would think of as a more established arm, and the Giants were very uh, much willing and did option him a lot. And so I think... The impact of that rule change is going to be very interesting to see with respect to how it limits a team's ability to move players in and out of the bullpen. Yeah, um, I, 
And I think it will it will throttle the the Giants and the Dodgers and the Rays a little bit because they were kind of so egregious in doing this. But five is still a lot of times that they can move a player. And I know I think it was at the I don't remember which writer, I think it was somebody at the athletic had a piece kind of documenting how many teams, you know, how many players on each team. And so really, aside from some of the really extreme cases that those teams were doing, you know, most teams are still going to be able to do that same degree of, uh, you know, of optioning that they were before. Uh, But again, this gets back to depth. The reason the Cardinals haven't done it so much is they just don't put, they don't build enough depth in. And, um, you know, those other teams and the Dodgers in particular have just so much depth. And this is one of the ways they use it. So but I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what what effect does it have on one of those teams? Because it's just yet another tool that they kind of used in their in their toolbox. Yeah, and and I agree. So that rule is something that's that's interesting. uh, That's going to be interesting to see how and how much. It impacts uh, what teams are doing and also how it impacts starter workloads uh, moving forward. And so I'm interested to see how that rule change will uh, alter things. Um, One of the things that I know you're not happy about is the universal DH. Um, I'm someone. it it, It is an abomination and I will no longer watch baseball. Um, (laughs) I'm someone uh, who pitchers have been so bad at hitting for so long. I'm just happy that they're no longer going to do it. And, uh, and so I, I also think it kind of makes things a little bit more interesting from a roster construction uh, perspective than it might otherwise be in the national league. Although it, certainly detracts from the in-game decision-making. But one of the things that uh, occurred to me, Ben, and I'm interested to know what you think, you know, Mike Matheny, one of the dumbest people I think any of us have ever encountered, um, never really seemed to understand how to substitute uh, with his pitchers. But now Marmol, in his first season, he doesn't have to worry about it. It's just the DH. And, yeah, and do you absolutely. think it's a benefit to him and the Cardinals? Well, I mean, it, it you know, it makes any manager's job easier, frankly. And 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 that's the reason that, uh, you know, honestly, that's the reason that I really enjoyed the DH is is to me or the, the uh, excuse me, the lack of the DH, because to me, it just it gives a shape to the game. And, um, you know, uh, I have never enjoyed watching American League Baseball. And and the, the thing that I notice is in a National League game, I always know where both teams are at in their batting order because you've got this real kind of dead spot at the very end of the order. And you you see it come into play. So, you know, really from the, the fifth inning on, um, you know, anytime a pitcher's kind of flagging, it's like, well, are they due up next inning or are they likely to come up? And then it starts to influence the manager's decision of do I stick with them or do I, you know, do I not stick with them? To me, those, the impact that that has on the game is so much more entertaining than, you know, watching a, a, a non-pitcher hit. And you're right, obviously. I mean, pitchers are not, they don't take uh, productive at-bats. So, you know, that's the thing that I'm just really going to miss. I know anytime I watch an American League game, I, have, I never have any idea where they are in the batting order. You know, I have to like look up at the scoreboard or whatever to, to figure it out because it just kind of feels like it's on a, it's like a tape loop that just keeps um, circling over and over. 
but I don't want to harp on that too much. And similarly, I would say the, the you know, the, the new 12 team playoff format, which I want us to talk about as well. Um, but the, the thing I'll say about both of those is, you know, I, I'm not a fan of either of those. Like those are not moves that I would make. They kind of change the way that I like baseball, but um, one, I'm softening in my old age, just in general. But I got to say, too, like we're coming off of a couple of years. You know, we had a, a pandemic shortened season that we barely got. We had a, a lockout that threatened to you know, cancel an entire season. And so I'll just be honest. I just can't get so up too up in arms about any of these things, because at the end of the day, I would rather have baseball than not have baseball. And, and the difference between that is enormous. The difference between baseball with or without a DH, the difference between baseball with or without a 12 team playoff is, is pretty small compared to that. So, um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of my overall feeling, but, um, you know, where do you come in on the, the 12 team playoff? Uh, it is, uh, Bill DeWitt's vision for baseball. You can always be competitive without spending much money and it, doesn't really matter because you can tell your fans you were in the playoff hunt and that's been our reality for probably the last five to ten years depending on when you have the cutoff and this is what all the owners want they want to be in the playoff picture and have a shot at the world series it cheapens the postseason the best team is much less likely to win the world series each year which means there is less of an incentive to build an elite roster one of the things I, I wanted to ask you, and I hate to put you on the spot, is there a scenario in which Bill DeWitt with a St. Louis Cardinals team on the trajectory of the 2004 Cardinals adds a Larry Walker caliber player late in the year? Um. Well, no, not anymore because he changed general managers. So, you know, he has a general manager who's not going to do that kind of thing. But no, I, you, you, that's a great point. I mean, you're, you're right. It, and it doesn't do that. Now, now, that said, that said, I one wrinkle of this 12-team format that I do think is somewhat interesting is the, the top two teams getting a bye through that first round. Um, you know, because I... I, I don't know. You know, th- there is some degree of incentive there and there is some reward there for building, a, you know, a Dodgers-esque super team. Now, does that mean that small and mid-market teams are going to try to build super teams? No, they're going to just keep collecting revenue sharing dollars from those big teams and not do that. But but I still I do like that. And I, I also, I you know, um, I, I'm, I'm more or less OK with this. You know, the way they've structured the wild card round where the, you know, the better team hosts three straight home games for it. I guess what I'm saying is they've added teams a couple times now to the postseason. And in general, I think I and you and most kind of real hardcore fans feel like that that cheapens and diminishes the 162 game season. That said, in a world where you're going to add those teams, I do like it when they find a way to structure it that still tilts the playing field toward that toward the better team or toward the stronger team. Yeah, it's it it tilts it toward the stronger team uh, a little bit, um, and I think, and I tweeted this that I think the 12 team playoff is the beginning of the end of divisions. And Major League Baseball has announced they're going to have a more balanced schedule yeah. 
uh, moving forward under the CBA now. And I think we're going to be getting away from that because, you know, obviously there are more divisions than four between the two leagues. And so if your top two seeds are getting a bye, why have divisions? You know, it doesn't matter if, if I'm the third best division champion, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and I'm not a fan of that either. And, and that honestly reminds me of the way that college football has evolved in my lifetime. And I'm going to, you know, date myself here somewhat. But, you know, when I was growing up, right, you know, basically you, you played, you know, a, a, a college played in their conference. And I was, you know, a, an Iowa Hawkeye fan predominantly as like a young child. Iowa played in the Big Ten. And if they were really good and they had the best record in the Big Ten, then they played the Pac-10 winner. And that was it that, you know, that was all there was there. They, they crowned a national champion, but it was just a bunch of like newspaper writers, like hypothesizing, you know, if, if LSU played, uh, you know, USC, who would win, but nobody knew because those teams were never going to play each other. And I liked that better. It was, it was more regional. Um, but you know, to me, there was a, you know, there's a charm to that. And, uh, you know, baseball with the, you know, the heavier emphasis on division play has kind of been that as well. Um, and, and, and I like that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's different, but, you know, to me, that's, that's, you know, charming and interesting, but I just think, uh, baseball, like college football, like everything else, it's just about, you know, moving towards this, you know, who's, you know, who's number one and we got to put, you know, all, you know, 30 teams are all, you know, however many hundred college teams, you know, into one friggin' league and figure out who, you know, who's the top. So again, it's less interesting to me, but it's, it's just the way the world is moving, you know? Yes. Um, but it's, it's interesting because it feels like baseball is kind of circling back to what it once was, uh, or something closer to it. Like the, the unbalanced schedule is kind of a Bud league creation post-strike with expansion. You know, the, the multiple divisions. Um, right, but but when you had a balanced schedule, you had a balanced schedule with no interleague play. So it's it's kind of a little from, you know. I mean, yeah, that's it, true. It, it, that's it, true. It is and it isn't, I guess. You know, but, but and again, just and I'm talking about like the direction things are going. I mean, obviously, we know that the owners wanted a 14 team playoff and ultimately they decided on 12. I think if any of us are sitting here thinking that we're not going to see a 14 team playoff in our lifetimes, we're insane. You know, <laughs> like it's yeah. this is only this it's is only going happen. to keep growing. They'll I, I think they may wait to spring it on us until after they expand next time. Uh, that's kind of what it feels exactly. like. It, it'll 100% happen when they expand. But, I mean, it's it's going to happen. And in one of the next CBAs, you know, there's going to be more money put in the pre-arb bonus pool. But we're going to have 14 teams or 16 teams or 32 teams in the playoffs. That's just the way it's the way it's headed. Yeah. Um, oh, it, it totally is just a total cheapening of, of the postseason and we're going to have more and more world series champions that are not the best team in the regular season which the regular season is my favorite thing about baseball and so uh, i think that's unfortunate and if i'm being honest once the cardinals are out i'm probably going to watch less and less postseason baseball unless really good teams are playing but like the braves last year i didn't care about that World Series much at all because the Braves yeah. weren't a very good team, and I just it it was not interesting to me. 
And so we're going to have more world champions like the 2006 St. Louis Cardinals and the 2021 Atlanta Braves. And that's bad for baseball, in my opinion. Unless it's a Cardinals team. And then it is good for us anyway, I guess. Um, yes. What about the, <laughs> what? Now, you know, they, they've eliminated the game 163 as well. So the tiebreaker is just going to be figured out through maths now. How do you how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, you know, that's communist. Um, no, I I love game 163. I It's a weird quirk of baseball that's being eliminated. Basically, everything that's fun and quirky, uh, postmodernism or late-stage capitalism, whatever you want to say, is, is going to eliminate it. Um, it makes sense, especially when you have so many postseason qualifiers now well and, it's, and especially when you're at when you're going to that division series is now a, a, or, or no wild card series they would call it is a is a three game series now and you've got teams that have a buy you know if you add a 163 in there you know before long you got teams that are you know sitting for a month before you know before the right. next game and, and, and you can't do that um yeah. and and you know they are also extending the season by three days this year. So you really can't have it because of the lockout. Um, And so I, I understand why it's happening. Um, And also with the relative unimportance of division championships, uh, it, it makes a little bit more sense. Um, And so I'm sad to see it go, but I understand why it's no longer going to be something that Major League Baseball uh, has. Yeah. Yep. Um, any other rule changes you wanted to hit on, or should we uh, should we talk about a, an off day recommendation? I, I think that we have probably covered enough of the rule changes and can get to the the off day recommendations. All right. All right. Do you, do you want to go first, or you want me to? Uh, you can go first. All right. Well, so my off day recommendation, um, and I, you know, Ben, we may have talked about this on the, the pod before. You may have mentioned it, but uh, during kind of later on in the lockout here, I finally got around to reading uh, Lords of the Realm by John Hellyer. Have you, have you talked about that on the podcast? I think I brought it up last time. It's a great book. The sourcing is incredible in that book. Um, I, it, it, I recommend it to every baseball fan. Yeah, and and you know, and I, I've seen a lot of people recommend it during the lockout as well, and it's it's one of those that had just been kind of on my to read list for you know years and years and years. I never gotten around to, but of course, it's it's basically the history of baseball as told through labor uh, relations, um, and it's it's an area that's always been really of interest to me. I know at, at Viva Albertos, I wrote quite a bit about um, the, the, you know, the Cardinals in the 1940s who um, were, ex, you know, extremely cheap as they always have been and, you know, locked out a bunch of players, had a number of players who jumped to the Mexican League um, uh, post-World War II when a number of players did that, et cetera, et cetera. There's just various aspects of labor that I've always found really fascinating. Um, and so, you know, I come into it, I think, with a fairly high IQ on, on you know, baseball labor but even so i would say it's just it's so comprehensive it's so well told um really a really a great book so um i would encourage anybody to to read that even though we have reached labor peace now it's still you can still read about labor war so that's that would be my recommendation Uh, ben how about you 
uh, Mark Simon at Sports Info Solutions wrote a really great post breaking down Paul Goldschmidt's defensive skill versus Freddie Freeman's defensive skill. Uh, and it's a post on their website. And I recommend everyone check that out because it's a really interesting post and has some really good analysis on on how first basemen on defense provide value to their team uh, and how Goldschmidt did last year for the Cardinals uh, relative to Freeman. It's an excellent post, great analysis, uh, and everyone should read it because it'll give you an even greater appreciation for Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, and I, I would second that. I, I um, check that post out as well. And, and I would just add, it's one that has some really great embedded videos in it to illustrate some of the, the positioning as well. So it's a good one to not just kind of like, you know, read, but plan to, you know, be at your, your computer or your phone where you can kind of watch the videos um, as you're going through as well. So, and, uh, and Ben, as you were talking about it, I actually fired up Twitter just to see if Freddie Freeman has signed with the Dodgers yet. And it doesn't look like it's happened yet, <laughs> but I don't know. That may be, that may be a thing by the time people are actually listening to this episode. Very true. Roberts was openly lobbying for him, uh, today in his press avail. Uh, and it sounds like the Dodgers have offered more money, uh, than the Braves have, which is astounding to me given how much money the Braves made last year. Yeah, I'm seeing a number of national sources. Like I'm looking at John Morosi right now saying that the Freddie Freeman negotiations are expected to reach a conclusion in the next 24 hours or possibly by the end of the night. So it seems like the Dodgers have really pushed the issue there, and you get the sense that if the if the Braves don't match it, he's, uh, he's going to be wearing Dodger blue. So uh, that'll be one of many um, moves to come that'll be interesting to see. And uh, we get to keep talking about him, Ben, because we uh, we have a uh, we have a baseball season and uh, a reason to continue doing a podcast together. <laughs> yes, uh, and also there was some concern I know uh, in Twitter circles about how the uh, delay of the start of the season might impact Cardinals off day. Uh, looking at the initial reporting, I don't think it will have much of an impact. It sounds like they're going to add a series at the end of the year uh, and make up the rest in season. So we might miss an episode or two uh, compared to the original schedule, but I think we'll still be able to keep doing what we're doing. Absolutely. And, you know, there's usually, well, I mean, last year's the first year we've done this. So I, that's, I, you know, we only have one year of example, but you know, there was a point in June or July where we just kind of phoned one in anyway. So I think if anything, you know, we may <laughs> slightly reduce the quantity, but we, we promise we will up the quality for listeners. Absolutely. Uh, so the lockout has a silver lining. Uh, you might not have to listen to us uh, a time or two over the course of the summer. That's that's true. That's true. Although if you don't like listening to us, just listen to something else, you know. But uh, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, but we no, we appreciate everyone who listens to us, and and uh, we had some folks uh, say things like they missed the podcast, and just some really nice things people have said to the the Twitter account and everything, which I know makes Ben and I feel really good, and you know we appreciate that people enjoy listening to us. Um, and so if you if you don't follow us on Twitter uh, at Cardinals Off Day is the handle uh, was a little quiet over the uh, <laughs> over the long lockout because there wasn't always a lot to say, but we'll certainly be tweeting more from there. And uh, we do we publish the podcast through. Some 
Substack. You can follow us at um, Substack uh, Cardinals Off Day as well. Um, we we have published not a ton of written pieces, but we do occasionally publish a kind of written piece as well. And you'll get a, an email update every time there's a new podcast episode and everything as well. So, um, Ben, that's all I got. Anything else from you? Uh, no, I am uh, very excited for a uh, spring training video of Cardinals pitchers throwing bullpens and Yadier Molina in full catching attire. Uh, as everyone knows, I am fully, uh, I am a fully devoted member of team Yadi and I am so excited for the Wainwright Molina farewell tour. Uh, and very pleased. It's going to be 162 games. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to uh, talking with everyone uh, throughout the season. And uh, so with that, this has been Cardinals Off Day. <laughs>